Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Sorry. All right, let me read the passage for you for this morning, and then, um, uh, and then I'll let kids go, but you're going to stay in here and hear the passage, all right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to be looking at the Lord's Prayer this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. Jesus says this, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you, give others, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All right. Kids, uh, if you would like, you can go to, we do have EGC this morning and we have Elevate, so all the way through fifth grade as uh, our older students will go back and uh, go through some catechism stuff. I do want to mention uh, as, we, uh, as we get going, there's, there's a lot of prayer needs this morning. Um, and uh, this is a good week to talk about prayer, um, but uh, just being in prayer for uh, uh, Jan Vio is doing, they're, they're not here this morning, Jan's just a little tired, she's, been, she's had a lot of uh, chemicals going into her body to fight, uh, to fight for her, and so she's a little tired and exhausted, Ed texted me and they're watching from home, so we're praying for Ed and Jan. Uh, Mirko Andrich is sick again, I think it's under control, I hope, but they are, uh, he's uh, he's back and he's being watched over and cared for uh, in, um, at uh, Barnes St. Peter's, so continue to pray for Mirko and, and uh, for Sandy. Uh, and then also, certainly, um, Afghanistan was hit with an earthquake. 2,000 people uh, so far have died. And then there is something, um, and, and, and this is not just, it, it is war, um, it is an act of aggression, it's an act of war against Israel uh, on behalf of the Hamas. But as Jeremy said, uh, there are several uh, peace-loving and desiring Palestinians, peace-loving and desiring Israelis that are just kind of caught in the middle of this. And when things happen to Israel, it tends to strike global issues uh, and really, really bad theology. Um, and so you're going to hear potentially a lot of really troubling things, justified uh, attempts at justifying war. And, um, and let me tell you, and we'll get into this a little bit actually this morning, uh, this is God's kingdom. This is our Father's world. Uh, we are never called uh, to, to war and destruction. Um, and so we will pl certainly pray for the peace of Israel, but also for the Palestinians there. there you know, there are many peace-loving Iranians. Uh, and so there's a whole lot going on here when the power structures uh, go to war. But, but 
be aware. Your, your, your heart string, your, your mind is going to be pulled to fit theological structures. And I'm going to encourage you to uh, operate with, with reason uh, and, and prayer for peace. We all, everybody good on that? Okay. All right. Uh, now, let's talk about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there is an unspoken rule amongst most Americans when it comes to communicating with people that don't speak English. Um, it, it is a translation. It's a universal language that most Americans will speak, uh, and, and it helps to convey um, to others that don't speak English, which is simply speaking louder and slower English that helps people who don't speak English understand what we are saying. Is anybody else guilty? I mean, with the help of the internet, we all might be shamed into not doing that anymore, but, which is great, but that has been, we have a long story, history, and a story from long back in my family of a certain member of my family, which will remain nameless, uh, who was asked to take a picture of uh, several Japanese tourists who did not speak English, and this person repeatedly asked them, but does anybody in your group speak English? To which they continued to respond, no, and then louder and slower, right? I, is, this not, does it, is this not universal? I think everybody in the world was taught loud, slow English, and if we just say it louder and slower, then they will understand us. All right, listen, uh, we have enough difficulties when it comes to communication with people that do speak our same language, should not say to X, Y, and Z, and just communication is difficult, um, let alone when you bring different cultural backgrounds, different translations, different languages. That makes it incredibly difficult. Communicating with God, however, has been made by God actually very easy. In fact, almost too easy. It's almost too simple because sometimes that can be a problem. Surely it's not that simple. Surely we have to add more to it. Um, and here is great news. We don't. Last week we looked at the invitation as we got into the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, the invitation to commune with God that we often miss or forfeit when we're actually not communi communicating or communing with God, but we get concerned about what other people think or what other people are thinking when, when we're praying, if we're praying out loud. This week, um, we're going to absorb the prayer that God himself gives us to pray and just how helpful this, this is. So we're going to start, we're going to dive in, uh, in verse 7, um, We'll start with verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is, this is interesting. This is the first and only time in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus actually addresses the Gentiles. Most of the time, he's addressing the Jewish religious leaders, the hypocrites, uh, and, and telling us not to practice like the hypocrites. But here, he is addressing the Gentiles. Um, 
Now, we've talked a number of times about uh, the pagan gods of the ancient religions. And there were a number of different gods. Every religion had different gods in the way that you would approach them and the way you would talk to them. Um, gods were more like, like superheroes, right? They were more like powerful humans. They were limited. They did not have omniscience. Um, they, uh, they, were, they were certainly more powerful, um, but they were also interested in transactional relationships. The God of Israel makes himself known and am I, I'm pulling on something. Hang on. Getting... Hang on. Just... Piece of cake. All right. I'm really sorry about that. Um, but the gods in the ancient world were, were very, they were very transactional. We will give to you and you will give back. This is what makes the God of Israel so unique. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, when you give to the poor and the idea of caring for the poor. The gods of the ancient world took bribes. Oh yes, they took bribes. That's how they got these really, really, really nice temples. And you could bribe the gods of the ancient world and there were ways to get their attention. You yelled, you, tr you, you went into trances, you would have different formulas. Magic was actually kind of a religion in the ancient world because it was a way of manipulating the gods, saying names in such a way and doing things in such a way that the gods would be obligated to give you what you were asking for. The gods favored the wealthy because the wealthy could contribute to their temples and when they gave you good weather and when they gave you prosperity, you gave them, you gave them money back. Right? This is, these are the other gods of the ancient world. If you remember, um, so in order to get their attention, you had to, you had to come with some, some coin. Uh, in a, if, to get their attention in a prayer, you had to do things, you had to demonstrate the genuineness and how serious you were about your prayer. So if you remember the stories in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal, right? they have kind of a, a worship off uh, where uh, which God is going to light the altar. And so the prophets of Baal, do you remember what happens back then? They're praying and they're shouting and they're dancing and they start cutting themselves and they're doing all of these things and, and, and then Elijah kind of mocks them. Hey, hey, maybe they can't hear you. Maybe you, should, maybe you should yell a little louder. This had been modified a bit, but this is essentially how the gods of the other ancient world, uh, the gods of, of the other religions, this is how they worked. You had to perform. You had to, to demonstrate. You had to uh, bribe. Jesus tells God's people, you don't have to dance and sing and perform and yell like the Gentiles to get God's attention. In fact, in fact, he already knows what you need before you even ask. So don't try to manipulate God with your words. Just ask. Just ask. The person that has gloriously and sometimes frustratingly demonstrated this trust and faith to me 
over and over and over again through at least the last 26 years of my life uh, is my wife. And her faith and her ability to just ask is a hope to me and a challenge to me. Uh, it, it confronts my cynicism every time. It makes me want to be better. And I asked her if she would share a little bit of her story this morning. Does that work? I printed this in a larger font, and obviously it was not large enough, so we're going to have to pull out the glasses. All right. I grew up learning the faith stories in the Bible. As a child, I never once questioned if David's faith was real as he fought and killed Goliath, if Jonah indeed lived for three days inside the belly of a whale and survived to tell about it, or if Daniel actually rested with the ferocious lions in the den and was rescued with <clears throat> to give God the glory. I never questioned if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were brave heroes who walked through fiery flames and escaped unharmed. These stories were so very real to me and set the stage in my head and in my heart as to what God could do. A song we often sang when I was a child, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Growing up, my family had a subscription to Guidepost magazine. I'm going way back, people. And there was always a spotlight article in every month's edition called His Mysterious Ways. These were modern day stories of faith, bravery, and God's miraculous work in people's lives. I love to read about how God guided and rescued people, like you and me, in order to show his love and power. As a little girl, I was greatly impacted by both reading and hearing Bible stories in Sunday school, and also hearing how God was still at work in these miracle stories we read and were told at home. I learned how God continually saved his people from harm, guided them through what seemed to be impossible odds, performed miracles, and saved his people 2,000 years ago and even in my lifetime. My faith was made my own as I trusted God to save me, and I believed he could do anything. This process of trusting God with my childlike faith started as a small seed, and that continued to grow in me over time. There was joy in trusting God, knowing that he was and still is good and completely in charge of me and the world around me. At an early age, I had a fierce confidence that I didn't have to worry about the big picture, but that I could rest and trust in God and his sovereignty. I knew I could ask God for anything, big or small. I knew God heard me and listened to me simply because I was his child. I'm so grateful to my parents for introducing me to this big God who loved even me. My mom and dad encouraged my siblings and me to pray and ask God for anything. Help on a test in school, healing for sickness, peace for an anxious heart, provision when it seemed impossible, safety, a good night's sleep, traveling mercies, courage to face a hard situation, for a new friend, and yes, even for a parking spot. This list could go on and on and on. At my house, we prayed for everything. And my incredible God heard my prayers and he answered them. My heart burst with joy and my faith in him blossomed. Not only because I aced that test that I had asked for help on, or because I got that thing I was praying for, 
but because I was falling in love with this God who hears even me. Even third grade Allison asking for third grade things. Now I need to say, I didn't get everything I prayed for, nor should I have gotten everything I prayed for. I learned to trust in God's timing and God's plan for my life. He knows what I need and when I need it. He is trustworthy. I'd like to tell you a story or two of God's answered prayer in my life. When I was in the second grade, cabbage patch dolls were all the rage. It was the gift for Christmas that was overpriced and hard to find. Because of the high demand, this doll was selling for $80 to $100. And remember back in 1982, this price would have been outrageous. People would camp out overnight in front of stores to fight over who would be the lucky customers to gain the prize. And of course, Cabbage Patch dolls were number one on my Christmas list. My parents tried every store in our hometown and every store in Springfield, Missouri, about an hour away. It was not looking good. And even if they did find the doll, the demand for them ramped up the price to nearly unaffordable. My parents told my sister and me this news so we could prepare for not getting these dolls at Christmas. But my mom shared that it was okay for us to ask God for anything and that we could pray for Cabbage Patch dolls. I remember as my mom, my little sister, and I sat down and prayed a simple prayer and asked God for Cabbage Patch dolls for Christmas. It was nothing pious or fancy, just a quick, heartfelt request, because we could ask God for anything. Now, we all trusted God to give us what we needed, and we knew we didn't need these dolls. We just wanted them. We knew God could provide the dolls for us, but we weren't placing our hope or faith in whether we got them or not. But Christmas was quickly approaching, and the supply of these dolls was looking bleak. There were none to be found for miles. And remember, this is 1982. No Amazon, no Internet. But God. Two days before Christmas, a coworker of my dad shows up on our front porch with a bag. She had been in Florida on a two-week vacation and knew my dad had been looking for Cabbage Patch dolls. So, the surprise and excitement of this last-minute treasure that was delivered to our house was in God's timing and was beautiful. Needless to say, Christmas morning was more delightful than we could have imagined. When I opened the wrapped gift and discovered little Marjorie Diane, <laughs> I, <laughs> I looked at my mom and dad, and we all relished in God's answer to this little girl's prayer. My love for and my trust in God that Christmas morning was the bigger gift that day. I know that God wasn't simply wanting me to love this gift, but he showed me how much I could love the giver of this good gift. I have story after story like this of how God worked in my life and in my family's life. I am thankful that my parents taught me how to pray and that there is no limit to our prayers. God has changed my prayers and God has changed me and grown me in, <clears throat> in my relationship with him through prayer. Now, of course, some prayers are answered immediately, and some over time, and some not yet, and some very differently than how I thought they should be answered. As an adult, I don't find myself praying for Cabbage Patch dolls, but I do pray for outrageous things, and I pray for small, everyday things. A few years ago, Clara's car battery died up at the high school, and she needed me to come over and jump her car. We both had different appointments we had to be at <clears throat> within 30 minutes. Trey was out of town, so this whole jumping the car thing was on me. 
I've watched Trey do this and made mental notes of how to do it, but had never done it on my own. It was 4.30 and the school parking lot was empty. I had all my kids plus three other teenagers waiting on me to fix this situation and quick. So I prayed to myself, God, I don't know what I am doing and I don't want to blow this car up. I need some help quick. There is no one around to ask for help. Could you please send me someone to help me? And then I gathered up the jumper cables, popped the hood, and stood there watching. <laughs> Within 30 seconds, a gentleman from a nearby neighborhood started to walk toward me and all the kids. He asked if I needed some help, and I said, yes, please. We got the car jumped, and we were on our way, and, it, and made it to all of our appointments on time. Again, the gift here was not only that God provided help, but that he increased my faith in him. He is good, and he hears his children. When I heard the scripture, pray without ceasing, when I was younger, this seemed impossible and, frankly, no fun. But when I started just talking to God throughout the day, it was like my heart became more and more connected to him. Now I find myself praying all the time, meaning I am just talking to God all day long. He is there, and he is my companion. God, thank you for the sunrise. God, please protect my kids today. God, you are a good God. Thank you for loving even me. God, please give me patience with this child. God, please help me find a parking spot. God, please give me wisdom with the situation at work. God, please help me be disciplined. God, help me for more fully understand your word. God, please encourage my hurting friend. God, will you send us some snow this winter? God, thank you for my job. God, I am terrified. Please show me your peace. God, please use me to encourage someone today. God, please help me find my keys. God, please help the person in that ambulance. God, please make me more like you. We can pray for anything, about anything, anytime. I also want and need to say I am not always consistent at prayer, but when I stop and listen and remember God's goodness, I am always encouraged to pray and trust him more. Some days I will wake up and say, God, what do you have for me today? And as the day goes by, I keep my eyes and ears open to the Holy Spirit as to how I can help someone or maybe even be a part of someone else's miracle that day. I want to close with the lyrics to a short song about faith I learned as a teenager. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to walk in a way that I cannot see, that's what faith must be. God can seem and feel far away, but he is not. He is right here, right now. And he wants to hear from you, help you, comfort you, grow you. I picture God eagerly waiting at the breakfast table every day for me to wake up and join him for conversation and coffee. He wants to walk alongside me the whole day through, lending a hand or encouragement or correction, hearing what I have to say, listening to my heartache, and giving direction, comfort, wisdom, and love. This is prayer, constant conversation and communion with this mighty and yet very personal God. And every day I have to fight through distraction to join him, but it is worth it every time.
Some of us used to pray with that amount of simplicity and faith uh, as kids, that the way that Jesus tells us to come before him, uh, and then we grow up and we get cynical and we get buried by wounds and disappointment and hurt, and some of us need to unearth that child. Uh, and uh, when I read her testimony that I had asked her to type out, it was incredibly convicting um, and hopeful. So with this confidence and realization and just how Jesus turns us to this new prayer, um, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through just the Lord's Prayer step by step, and this is a gift given by God to us to pray. And I just want to give you some meanings of the words that Jesus gives us, uh, and I'll ask you as we're going to, I'll ask you to read along with me um, as we go through step by step, and uh, I promise we'll cover it quick. So in verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, in, in, uh, in Luke's recording, we're just we're going to do one step at a time here. In Luke's recording of this, his disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. Uh, he come, they, he's praying, and, and they come up, and, and he says, when you pray, say, and then he goes in, our Father in heaven. Uh, in the context of Luke, the Greek word say here can literally mean when you pray, trans, uh, recite. When you pray, recite these words. Uh, it's very possible, very possible that the disciples were asking and Jesus is giving, giving a new written prayer to be recited word for word. Um, this, is, this would be a very Jewish thing to do, uh, and it's good. Uh, we, have, we have kind of in our day, we've placed a value on spontaneity, and spontaneity is okay. Uh, that's not bad, but let's please not make so- spontaneity somehow more holy than prayers that are given to us by God himself. Um, prayers that have been written. Jesus gives us a prayer to recite when we pray, along with our daily spontaneous prayers. So the depth and simple simplicity and the brevity of this prayer is beautiful that Jesus gives us. So he starts off and he uses the word our. We're not going to go this slow, but he starts off and he uses the word our. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and what he is saying is, our Father. This is in contrast to both the hypocrites who stand to be seen and the Gentiles who think they have to impress. But for someone to know and love God is for someone to see God as a Father, a loving and good Father. Our Father. To be righteous, we've, we've talked about this before, but to be righteous doesn't simply mean you're doing the right things. To be righteous with our Father means to be in good and right relationship with our Father. To trust Him. You can do the right things and be in bad relationship. To be in good relationship with our Father is to see him, to be able to come to him with the confidence uh, of him being a good and caring father. And he is also holy or hallowed. Uh, So to recite his name, to say his name, here again we go back to the other gods. It is not to manipulate him. When 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 the commandment is given, do not use my name in vain, 
that is not talking about saying the Lord's name as a curse word. What he is saying there, again, like we talked about with magic, don't use my name as if it's some kind of incantation that you can bring about to manipulate me for your agenda. That's not the way this God works. Don't use my name for your vanity, for your glory. I'm a good and loving father. My name is good and I am holy. I am unlike the other gods. I am not to be bribed or conned or worked over. I am holy and I am good and you can talk to me as your father. And this is important. The prayer, this part is important. This prayer is not that we make his name great. Jesus doesn't say, may your followers make your name great or make your name holy by following more religious rules, by being more genuine, by dancing more and reciting things more than the other people. What he is saying here is that God would make his name great. Nothing ought to give us more joy and more hope in our lives or in the world than God our Father would make his own name holy and great, sometimes even despite his followers. Let's go to verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, there's a whole lot that we could unpack here. We've been talking about Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God. So I want to keep this fairly simple and straightforward, but also bringing into view all this, that what this means is the kingdom of God. Throughout the Hebrew scripture, a view of a realized kingdom for the Jewish people, for the, uh, the people of God, would have been seen as the people of God, Israel, governed over by God in the promised land as a people who are marked by peace, holiness, love, and wisdom with God as king or his appointed king, blessing those whom, uh, who blessed them and cursing those who came against them. So what Jesus is ushering in here, what he's telling us to pray for, is to ask God to bring this new, fully realized kingdom with he himself as king, the Messiah, God with us, as a people not bound by human boundaries of man, but actually adorned as the bride of Christ, the church, a global people, every tribe and tongue, marked by peace, holiness, love, and wisdom, and a people of a new and everlasting kingdom, a people of new creation, new power, new obedience by grace through faith, profound healing of sickness and disease, and ultimately even overcoming death itself. We enter into this new kingdom, what's commonly known as the already but not yet, where God's kingdom is here, it's happening, it's taking place, it's being ushered in by Jesus as king in part, but one day we are confident because of the resurrection that this will, that this will be fully across the entire world, the remade world. And when the king returns, it will be here as it already is in the place where God dwells uninhibited in heaven itself. In fact, Revelation, John talks about the heavenly city descending. 
So this portion of the prayer, we call on God to continue to establish his kingdom in and through his people and across the earth. This is a desire. This is, hear me here, okay? This is going to confront the bad theology you might hear. This is a desire for God to reign, not for Christians to reign, for God to reign, in part, but with the hope and confidence, one day in full. Does this make sense? Okay. I don't want to lead, especially now. I wrote this a few days ago, but especially now. I want to make sure we're, we understand this. We cannot manufacture God's kingdom on earth. We bear witness and presently practice the reality of this kingdom that is here, but not fully. As the church, we live this out as the people of God. Again, peace, holiness, love, and wisdom. And allowing God to bless and God to curse and defend and bring new life. And then we turn from praising God in what he does to asking. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, there's some actual debate on this. What does Jesus mean exactly? What is he asking for? Is this spiritual? Is this physical? Is this material? Is this eschatological? Is this all about end time? Is this daily present with right now? What is it? And you'll be happy to know that there's lots of differing opinions on what exactly Jesus is talking about when he's talking about daily bread. And let me just give you some encouragement and freedom here. Apply generously. I don't know. And obviously, if it was that crucial, Jesus would say, give us our day this daily bread. And what I mean by that is, it might be spiritual. It might be material. It might be uh, it might be nourishment. It might be all of these things. Here's what I'd like for us to focus on, the warning potentially in our day, a day of consumerism where so much of our daily living is stockpiling and saving um, for our financial independence. So let's put the emphasis here maybe on, not on bread, but maybe on daily. Jesus, help us to live day today, receiving what you have given us today. Let's both be careful and aware that we're not asking God to take away our dependence and need for him. I always talk about, God, if you could give me my lifetime supply of bread, then you can have time to worry about other sinners and I'll take it from here, right? May, we, may God give us what we need for daily dependence, be that spiritual always, physical, material, whatever it may be, nourishment and provision. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this one does come with commentary. Jesus does follow this one up just to make sure we understand. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to cringe at this a little bit, right? Right? Does this sound works-based to anybody? Yeah. Come on, Jesus, be more Protestant. This is hard 
because it sounds works-based. It sounds quid pro quo. Well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Here's the deal. The correlation between receiving forgiveness and forgiving is so deeply interconnected and intertwined that it simply cannot be separated. It can't be separated. When we look at the world around us and we go, all right, what, what defines Christians the most? What defines if somebody is genuinely saved? How do we, how do we know what Christians, in fact, holiness, right? Holiness is being other. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to be other. Most of us, I think, oftentimes when people say, well, we're not called to be like the world, we go, we're just supposed to be more religious. And hear me on this, we're not supposed to be like the religious world either. Jesus does most of his arguing against the religious world here. So to stand out, to be God's holy people, to not be of the world, doesn't mean we're just supposed to be more religious. So what does it mean here? Probably most of us, when we think we're supposed to be holy, most of us think about some type of morality. We don't do these things, and we do these things, right? It's not, it's not unimportant, but here what I would say is that the people of God should be most identified as a forgiven people. The people of God, the people who are following Jesus, ought to be most identified as a people who are in awe and wonder that they could be forgiven. And therefore, ought to ought to believe and be compelled and freed to be a radically forgiving people. This is, direct, this is in direct uh, contradiction to what Jesus is talking about with the Gentile gods and the way that all of the world operates, right? You remember this Latin phrase? I'm going to test you a little bit if you've been here. Lex talionis. Anybody remember that phrase? It's the way the world runs. It's the law of retaliation. The law of revenge. We get back at people who strike us. Our law is based on it. An eye for an eye. Punishment fits the crime. Right? Jesus does not circumvent earthly justice, but he does indeed call his followers to radical forgiveness and not lex talionis, and not the law of retaliation. And this is important enough that Jesus gives the prayer, and then right after it goes, all right, I'm going to do some clarifying for you. That second to last line, take a look at it again. He adds a commentary just to make sure we understand what he's saying. Now, there are some interesting distinction between burdens, debts, sins, the different words that are used here uh, in the ancient Jewish world, but we'll, we'll, stick with, we'll stick with this. To forgive means to lift the burden or to cancel or compensate the debt that was owed. And, and Jesus links all of these things in his prayer so that we cannot even begin to make the distinction between what has, God has done through Christ and what we then are called to and compelled to do when receiving that from Christ. Here again, does that make sense? Okay, this is not works-based, it's inevitable to receive this. All right, and then the last line, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Anybody read that and go, okay, what, what? I had a friend who asked me the question, why would Jesus tell us to pray that God wouldn't lead us into temptation? And I looked at her and I said, I don't know. I've simply prayed that because it's there. It's a good question. All right. Um, You'll be happy to know here again, scholars have some various thoughts on what Jesus meant here, but the general consensus is that the word temptation is more along the lines of testing. When testing comes in every day of life, major or minor, Allison talked about daily distractions, right? From something as minor to that as, as major of being persecuted. Um, much like the uh, provision of bread, may God preserve and protect us as we trust him. Paul gives some insight to this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. He says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, God is not going to give you, uh, well, God, it's not saying that God will not give you more than you can handle. What it is saying is God will give you what he can handle. God, give me trust. Give me faith that my faith would grow in gratitude or in delay. Um, May the evil one or evil itself not gain a foothold. And Peter reminds us that the evil one is relentless when he gives commentary in 1 Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to give a proper awe and respect to our enemy. He's, he's good. And yet, our God is so much better. The closing doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's actually not found in Matthew or Luke. Uh, it is biblical. It was probably added on later in time. It comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Uh, when David is in the midst of the assembly, the gathered assembly, and he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All right, so the application, it's, it's the same as last week. There's a lot to consider with prayer. I do want to let you know uh, there's two more weeks of uh, Sunday school, and Tiffany Neville is teaching a class on prayer. So if you want to jump in on that in the last couple weeks um, of different, different types of prayers and different ways and, and kind of cutting through some of that stuff. There's lots of questions that we could call up in prayer. There's lots of technicalities that we can, de- uh, d- that we can debate, that we can have fun over and discuss um, 
uh, as far as the character of God and the necessity of prayer. Does God change? What, are we, what do we actually ask for? What does prayer actually do? Uh, we talked about this before. For the first century Jewish people, praying at certain hours of the day, this was pious living. This was part of what you do. This was a daily practice. For some of us, that seems unholy. Well, I don't, I'm not just going to do disciplinary things. This is practicing while also remembering that these words have meanings and let them come to life. And as we dwell on them and marinate in them, as we practice them day by day, that they begin to take root in us, that they become uh, second nature when trial comes, when despair comes, when fear, when anxiety, when temptation or test or trial comes, that these are regular habits of practice that we have built up to fight against the evil one. Um, and if we get into the debate of which is more holy, written out prayers or spontaneous prayers, I think Jesus would probably laugh at us and say, I've, I've, I've given you both. Why would you debate over which gift is better? He would probably ad advocate for both um, some of the prayers written in Scripture are brief. Some of the prayers written in Scripture are long. Um, and, and Jesus gives us a beautiful gift right here. Uh, Jesus himself prayed through the night. So we are given a gift. And, and here again, lest we oversimplify, bring our concerns, our expectations, our needs, our hopes, our anxiety our worship, our confession, our proclamation, all of these we have been given a gift to bring them before our good and loving Heavenly Father. And we're called to see Him because of Jesus, to see Him in that way, that He actually cares for us and we can sit down. We don't have to do it the proper way. We don't, there's not a method that we go through to get to Him. Um, we don't have to do it just to be seen. And in fact, the danger of doing it to be seen is that's our reward. And at the same time, you can do it in the middle of, I was going to say the middle of the mall, but I don't know if there are any, oh, there are any malls. Um, you can do it in the middle of the streets of St. Charles. Uh, if your alarm goes off and you stop and you pray and you're a light in the middle of St. Charles, you don't care who sees you. You're praying because this is my reminder to, to be with God. That's all there. We are invited to sit down and commune with a good and loving Father who cares for you who wants good for you, who wants you to trust him on good days and on bad days. And as we see in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us, because of our great high priest, Jesus himself, we can come before God's throne with confidence. So let's take a minute, and then when I close, we'll pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, together. Now, there are a lot of interesting things in this world that we can get caught up in. 
questions, debates, philosophies, modes, methods. Prayers answered, prayers unanswered. Did I do it right? Did I not do it right? How do I explain evil in the world? How do I deal with today? And you have invited us to come before you as children, and if we're anything like my children, they will not let no get in the way. They still delight and ask their father, who is not even a shadow of what our good heavenly father is. So I pray again for some of us that you would grab us by the foot and pull us out of cynicism anxiety, fear, expectations, missed hopes. All the things that tend to bury us as we get older. And you, would you dust us off and present us before your throne of grace with confidence that we can ask you anything. We can confess to you anything. And even when we don't know how to pray, we come to you. And your disciples, on our behalf, came to you and said, teach us how to pray. And you taught us to say, our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.